Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors. So glad that you're joining us, whether it's your first time or your hundredth. I want to remind you that we want to provide you with opportunities to get involved in our community because we believe that you belong. One of those ways, one of the best ways you can do that is by filling out a connect card on our church center app or our website. That way we can get to know you, answer any questions you may have, or even get you involved in uh, what's going on around our church. Another way that you can get involved in our community is by supporting what God is doing. We have a 10-year vision that includes uh, Jesus reclaiming our identity in Jesus and bearing the torch of Jesus' love and justice to our community. So you can always take an opportunity to support that financially with your giving. For those of you who've already done so, I just want to say thank you for your faithful support and giving of God's vision at this church. But if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to take that opportunity today. Uh, you can do that again on our Church Center app or our website. So today we are in a brand new series called Mark. This is what we will be doing all summer is going through the book of Mark. And we're kicking off that series with a very special message from our friend Vincent so give that message a listen, and I will catch up with you in just a moment. What an amazing God we serve. I, I didn't get enough response on that one. I think that that desired a little bit of response. I said, what an amazing God we serve. How amazing is our God? Oh, my goodness. Oh, such an amazing God. I'm just honored to be here just one more time. I'm going to make sure I keep with the decorum so you guys will invite me back again. Because um, after seeing, hearing something like that, I'm ready to shout. See, last time I was here, we talked about revival, and I told you how we do revival in my church. I, I pick them up and put them down. I have to get what I need. And um, that song put me in a spot right now where I'm just ready to worship our amazing God. Who believes that our God is amazing? I'm talking like you guys know me already. For those who don't know me, I am Vincent. I am a servant of God, and I'm just really glad to be here again, especially with my wife and my four daughters. We call them affectionately Tinch Nation. <laughs> All right. So listen, in the, um, from the midst of this pandemic, you guys know that it is customary, for those of you who have seen me before, it's customarily of me to ask you to do me a favor, right? Um, First of all, I want you guys to welcome our online audience. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> um, that's a gift of the pandemic that we can have service in one place, but in multiple places at the same time. But that's not the only gift that it gives us. Another thing that it allows us to do is it makes it easier than ever to share the word of God. All you have to do is share a link of today's service. I'll remind you that I don't want you to share it just so people can hear me. What I want you to do is share it so they can hear the life-altering, life-changing Word of God. Because we believe that there's no way that you can hear the Word of God and leave the same way that you came. So if you could, you know, maybe you got to text to somebody. Text it, if you got to text the website to somebody or if you go on Facebook and share the live stream Please do that right now. I know you're not used to pastors asking you to take your cell phone out in church. Don't worry. I checked with Jesus. It's okay. Um, you guys do that while I pray for our time together, okay? Father, I come before you, God, grateful to stand behind this desk one more time. 
grateful for the opportunity to share your word and your truths, your life-changing, amazing truths, just one more time, God. Move me out the way. Empower me to speak the words that you have for this audience at this time, in this moment, for such a time as this. We ask, God, that as the word goes forth, God, that it is a word that displays your will and accomplishes your mission. We pray, God, that it is truthful. We pray, God, that it is helpful. And above all else, we pray that it is pleasing in your sight. In your son Jesus' name, we pray. Let every glad heart say amen. Amen. All right, y'all. Listen, we are here to start a new series, Mark. This is becoming a regular thing over here. Um, where the pastoral team has been calling me and stretching me beyond belief and asking me to do some things that, you know, I'm just not accustomed to doing. Um, and this time is no exception, right? They've called me uh, to do a deep dive into Mark. It was already um, a challenge when they called me to start series as a guest. I'm like, you want a guest to come in? And then another time they called me to, to speak on give an offering to pastors. I'm like, Do you, are you sure they want to hear that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but now this time I get this opportunity to, to begin this amazing journey. Uh, somebody say amazing. amazing. We're going to use that word a lot today. This amazing journey down the, um, about this man named Mark and through his book of the same name. Now this is my first time doing a deep dive in Mark, okay? And I was honestly completely overtaken by how much that I've learned, and I'm super excited to jump into it with you today. We got a lot to cover, so let's just jump right into our focus scripture. It's, in, it's found in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. What you'll see when you get to that part is this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed. I told you we're going to say that word a lot today. At his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. And for today, well, that's enough. For today, what we're going to do is use the subject, the amazing authority of Christ. And if I could simplify that, God is amazing. How amazing is our God? God is amazing. And it's apparent as you travel throughout Mark that Mark felt the same way. He uses the words amaze or amazement and fear over and over again as if his goal was for you to see how amazed he was with God and to get you to be just that amazed with God as well. Most of us would agree that God is amazing, right? How many people agree that God is amazing? But here's the problem. What about when things don't seem to be so amazing? What happens when things don't feel amazing in our lives? Uh, Let me make it personal for me. There are some real objective things that I can point to in my life that are not amazing. There are real times and periods of my life that are hard and are not amazing. There are things that are within my character that I feel are not amazing. Can I be personal real quick? Is that okay? Am I at home enough to be personal? 
At the beginning of the pandemic, I was in tip-top shape. I'm talking about, I'm to the point, I'm back dunking the basketball, and you couldn't tell me. I could get out there, I would go for a run, and I would run 14 miles. Like, it was nothing. And now I stand before you with an embarrassment of a pandemic pouch. Something inside of me is not amazing. And I think that you guys would agree with me that there are objective things that you can point to at times in your life that are not amazing. That there's things in your character that are not amazing. How many people agree with me that you can see some things that are not amazing? Even my, let me bring the youth in because I don't want them to think that it's only about us and our weight loss. Even my youth, my, my students, you ever had a test? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you ever had some assignments that were due over vacation and you came home like you didn't have anything due? And he said, I, I don't worry, I'll get it done before vacation is over with. And then you find yourself the night before vacation is over with up in the middle of the night trying to finish it only to find out in the morning that you fell asleep and it's still not done and now you have to go to school with the embarrassment of not having your assignment completed. Sometimes there are things inside of us that are not amazing. And to make matters worse, the world tells us that we're not amazing. All the time. I hear you. All the time. They tell me that I'm not amazing if I'm not an entrepreneur that has several streams of income. I'm not amazing if I don't have this amazing job that's the envy of all my friends and an 850 credit score. They tell me that I'm not amazing if I'm not a preacher who draws in millions and every time I preach, thousands get saved. The world tells me that I'm not amazing if I don't have rock hard abs, so I'm far from amazing right now. And I'm not some type of Instagram model. It tells me that I'm not amazing if I don't live in a mansion or I don't drive a sports car or I don't live this perfect life and never, ever screw up. That's what the world tells me. But as we study Mark, what we see is that what we lack in our amazingness, our lack of amazingness, God outweighs with his amazingness. I know there's a lot of incorrect English in there, but you got the point, right? All my English teachers was laughing in the back. Okay, he knew. All right, we're good now. (laughs) As we go throughout this, Mark is just trying to get us to follow and fall in love with the amazingness of God. And Mark lets us know two truths that come out and permeate throughout his life and throughout his conviction and throughout his work, throughout the Bible, which he had a, a, a hand in writing. One of those truths is this. Even when nothing seems to be spectacular about us, God can use us to do amazing things. And the second one is this. Even our screw-ups can be redeemed unto God's good work. And these truths permeate the life and the work of Mark. And hopefully you can see that as we go throughout all of this, especially after we answer this one question. Who is Mark? As I was preparing for the message, I thought I would, it would be a good um, exercise to go and ask people who Mark is. Because we hear his name so often, and you think that people would know who Mark is. As most of you are probably searching your mind right now, trying to figure out who Mark is, you're probably surprised to realize you, you don't know who Mark is, do you? 
Majority of people have no idea who Mark is. As I was asking the questions, like, who is Mark? Somebody was like, um, I know he's an author, right? But is he a disciple? No, Mark is not one of the 12 disciples. Right? And a lot of people are shocked to learn that. Some of you are not. Some of you I know are Bible scholars, but that's okay. Mark is not one of the 12 disciples. Um, a lot of people have no idea who he is, and I, but what I believe is that maybe Mark wanted it that way. But there's some encouragement in figuring out who he is because we can see how amazing our God is and how God uses him in an amazing way. Mark was one of four individuals who were chosen to write down the gospel of Christ, the basis of our faith. Yet he didn't mention his name in his gospel at all. In fact, Mark's name is not mentioned in any of the gospels. That's why I said maybe he wanted it that way, right? Maybe he wanted to play the background. Instead, what he does is he keeps the focus on Christ. But in order to see the amazement of God, we need to dig in deeper to see if we can figure out who Mark is. A couple of things that will help us as we go through this message is we realize first that his name is John Mark. It was common in those days to have two names. Um, you would have your Jewish name and you would have your Roman name. And Scripture will use both of his names interchangeably. You'll see it as we go throughout our Scripture. Sometimes it'll say John, sometimes it'll say Mark, sometimes it'll say John, who is called Mark. What you, what you also uh, would be surprised to find out is that he's not a pastor. He's not a preacher. He's not a teacher. He's not an apostle. He's not a prophet. Scripture identifies Mark as a helper. A helper. The Holy Spirit honors him to be one of the four people divinely selected by the Spirit to write down the story of Christ, the basis of our faith and the basis of our religion. And he is not a pastor, not a preacher, not a teacher, not an apostle, not a prophet. He's a helper. The encouragement we can get from that is this. The Holy Spirit honors help. No matter what our position is, no matter what our station is, no matter what we are in life, we ought to be encouraged to find some way to help to get the gospel out. No matter whether we do that through decoration, whether we do it through cleaning, whether we do it through greeting, through youth, through invite, Mark's life should encourage us to find some way to help. And also it should encourage us to see that our amazing God takes the time to see us. To see us, the true us, even when we play the background. We don't have to be on stage up there flailing your hands and yelling with the microphone on the side of your face in order to get God's attention. God sees you. And that's how we find Mark in this really weird way in Scripture. We're introduced to him in the background. It's like the Scripture It's so crazy how we meet him the first time that you probably never even paid attention to it. And you've read past it many times if you've been in church for a while. Um, We meet him during the miraculous delivery of Peter. Anybody remember when Peter was delivered miraculously from prison? Let me help you guys out to bring you through the story. At this point in time, um, the king at that time, Herod, was persecuting the Christians. Right? He had just killed James, and when he killed James, he realized that that made the Jews get in line and get behind him. And so in order to bring, bring more unity, he's like, yeah, I can kill more of this little subset called Christians. And he chooses to arrest Peter. And when, when Peter gets arrested, the believers, they, they do what we do best. They start to pray. 
right? And that's what we pay attention to. We pay attention to that, that miraculous prayer because they pray so good that it leads to the next part that people focus on, that he is miraculously delivered from prison, right? That's the part of the story that we normally focus on. When he's in prison, he's in these shackles. They're, they're praying, and his shackles come off. The angel shows up, and the angel starts telling him things to do. And at this point, even Peter is surprised, right? He thinks that he's having a vision, right? He doesn't know that this is actually happening. And then he just follows the direction of the angel. He's walking past the guards. He sees them sleeping, and he makes it out the prison. And then this is when we come to our scripture here down in 12, verse 12, Acts 12, verse 12. It said, when it had dawned on him, remember, he didn't even realize what was going on. <laughs> he thought, he's like, yeah, this got to be a vision, right? But when it had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. Did y'all see that? The mother of John, also called Mark. We don't even meet Mark directly. <laughs> we meet him as a subset of introducing a different character. <laughs> and where, the, where many people had gathered and were praying. This is the place where they were praying at. All of the believers were in the church, the house church. The house church was in Mark's mother's house. But there's some amazing things that we can get out of just this little piece of scripture. First of all, one thing that I, I notice is that they say um, Mary, the mother of John. Normally, they introduce the person by their parents, but they're going the opposite way and introducing the parent by the son, showing us that Mark is obviously a little important. Another thing that we see is that this is where the house church was. So this means that Mark probably came up under the tutelage of Peter. Peter, this amazing preacher, we know he's an amazing preacher because after Pentecost, he preached a sermon and 3,000 people joined the church. Man, you ever wonder what happened to those 3,000 people and what they did? Well, this might be one of our hints. Wrote the Bible. <laughs> That's an amazing preacher. That's some amazing teaching that has taken place. And this is the first time that we are introduced to Mark in the scripture as he is uh, likely converted listening to Peter tell the amazing story of how amazing our God is. And watch this. Don't lose this. Uh, just like one of your good episodes, you ever watch a good TV show where they got one thing happening, then they switch scenes and something else is happening? There's a parallel story happening in the Bible at the same time. And it's happening back in Acts uh, chapter 11. While the, while the Christians are being persecuted, um, there's a famine that is also prophesied. And if you look back in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, you'll see this. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. They came from the blessed place of Jerusalem down to Antioch, where you're going to meet a new person called Saul, who is also known as Paul who also wrote the majority of the New Testament, okay? This is where Paul is. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine. A severe famine is coming. And it was spread over the entire Roman world. So check this out. They did not take this lightly. Um, they made sure that they did what was necessary and responded to it in the proper way. Let's look at verse 29. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help. So they're going to send money in order to help those individuals who are about to go through this severe famine uh, for the brothers and sisters who are living in Judea. And they did this, sending their gifts by uh, Barnabas and Saul, Saul being the later who becomes Paul, right? 
This event right here leads to our next encounter with Mark. That's why this is important, right? This is happening, right? So after they get done delivering that gift to Jerusalem, we meet Mark again. Here it is, Acts 12, 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. All right, you guys with me so far? I'm telling you, it's, it's, getting, it's about to get good, okay? <laughs> Why? Why are we taking Mark? Because it's identified in Colossians 4.10 that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Right? <laughs> now we're trying, we're just connecting dots here, connecting dots. Um, and then when they return from Jerusalem, they go back to Antioch, which is the head of the Gentile church, right? This is where Paul is taking his missions from. They get back there, they're praying, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and says, hey, you got to separate Paul and Barnabas to go do a special work that I have set aside uh, for them. And what they do is they get launched on the first international missionary journey, right? And this is hard work. If you've ever read any of the stories of Paul, they go through a lot, right? They're, they're running into uh, demon possession. They're running into false prophets. They're being abused. They're being uh, persecuted. You guys remember, sometimes Paul was beat all to an inch of his life where he was about to die. So th- what I'm trying to emphasize here is that this is tough, 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 tough ministry. And the only reason why you continue to do this is because you're serving a God who is amazing. The amazingness of the story has to outweigh the terribleness of what you're going through. But at this time, we come to a sad conclusion. Mark deserts them. He leaves them. It's tough. Can't you imagine, like, having to go through that? How many of you, like, man, this is not what I signed up for. Demons, you're getting beat halfway to death. This is a sad time. This is a low point in Mark's Life. This is one of those terrible moments that the song was describing before, where, where it's like, where it's really a low point in a life, but God still sees me. This is that desertion, and that desertion causes other things to happen. It, it gets so bad that this desertion causes Paul and Barnabas to actually split. A lot of us heard about that heart, that, that sharp split, but did you know that it was because of Mark? Let's, let's get over to Acts 15, verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them. Here they are. They're, they're thinking about going on their second international journey now, right? <laughs> he's like, let's go back and visit all the churches we went to before. Um, but Barnabas, he's like, okay, let's take Mark again, right? But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Paul and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul... Um, took, uh, chose Silas and left and commended by the believers in the grace of the Lord. So such a deep, that's how you get the second half of Paul's ministry. Remember, it was Paul and Silas. Before it started with Paul and Barnabas, now you got Paul and Silas who are now traveling the world. That sharp disagreement was all because of Mark and his desertion at the lowest point of his life. This is what we can presumably say right here, what we have in the scripture. But his story doesn't end there. His story doesn't end as a deserter. He was restored 
back into the ministry, back into the same ministry in which he, let, which he had left. Because 10 years later, what we get is a writing from Paul um, where Paul was in his second imprisonment in, work, in Rome where he's writing to the church of Colossians. And he says, look, I have Mark with me, the cousin of Barnabas. He has been redeemed. And the takeaway that we can get from that is this. We don't have to be defined by our screw-ups. No matter how low our life has gotten, I'm so glad that God uses people like Mark, people who make mistakes, people like me, people who are fit before the pandemic. Do you hear me? Because that's the only type of people that there are. It's people who fall short, but God sees us. The bottom line is this, is that Mark's life should encourage us who have screwed up to keep pushing because his story doesn't end as a deserter. Our story doesn't have to end by our screw-ups. But check this out. Nothing that you've been through, even your screw-ups, will be wasted because God in his providence can use everything that you've been through for his glory. How do I know that? Because Mark, when he left, He went back to Peter. He went back to Jerusalem. He went back to Peter. He was with Peter in Rome. He stayed with Peter in Rome. You know what happened to Peter in Rome, right? Peter got killed in Rome. He stayed with Peter, presumably, until his death. Then you look and read throughout Scripture. When you see um, Paul, uh, Paul is in his second imprisonment. We know that in his second imprisonment is when Paul dies. He says, Mark is still with me. Through all of these things that Mark has been through, he has been through it with Peter, who is over the Jew. uh, I'm sorry, with Peter, yeah, who's over the Jewish Christians, and with Paul, who's over the Gentile Christians. God took this amazing, unique um, buildup of Mark and uses it to tell the most amazing story ever told in the most amazing way. Watch God's setup in the Synoptic Gospels. That's three Gospels that all tell the same story. God chooses three individuals to tell those stories, right? He chooses Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He chooses Matthew, who is Jewish. He chooses Luke, who is a Gentile. Then he chooses Mark, who has been both. You hear me? God is putting this entire... Did you guys notice about the story? I'm watching this thing and watching how God put this together. I'm like, God, you're so amazing. He used everything that Mark been through, including his desertion, in order to be able to tell the most amazing story ever. And his book reflects that, right? What we see is as we jump into Mark, um, you get this sense um, that Peter feels that God is amazing. And that amazingness has been transferred to Mark. And Mark has written a book that is geared towards getting us to see and declare how amazing God is and that he is our Lord. He had to be amazed to write this book because two people then already died trying to tell the story that he's been with. But yet he still risked his life in order to write it down. And in order to bridge the gap between these two audiences, he, he comes and he tells the story from Peter's standpoint, the Jewish standpoint, but he's telling it to a Gentile audience. And to bridge that gap, he's using language that fits both. 
Language like this, like gospel. Anybody ever heard the word gospel? How many of y'all thought it was a church word? It's not a church word. Okay? This is a common word. Okay? He used this word gospel, which was used in the Gentile world, in the Roman world, to talk about the arrival of a new king. A new king who would bring peace, who would bring prosperity, who would bring salvation, who would be a god. They have this in inscriptions that talk about the arrival of Caesar Augustus. But yet, in the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, when they talk about the arrival of the Messiah, the Messiah who's going to bring peace, the Messiah who's going to bring uh, restoration, the, the Messiah who's going to bring salvation, the Messiah who is God. Yahweh, that's the name of God, right? The name is assigned in Scripture. Yahweh, it uses the same name, gospel, because the word gospel was common between the both of them to talk about the arrival of salvation, the arrival of the new king, the ascension of the new king, the arrival of a God. This is the most amazing news ever, and that's what the gospel is. And Mark says at the beginning, the gospel is here. Jesus is here. Yahshua is here. Yahweh is here. The Christ, the Messiah, the fulfilled prophecy, the Son of God, the essence of God is here. And because of his unique background, he knows how to make sure that he gets the message across to them and also authenticates it at the same time with us. What he does is he, he paints a perfect picture. He says that he knows that when a new king is about to arise to a throne, there has to be an announcement. There has to be an anointing. And it has to be a display of authority. Because in order for it to be good news that a new king is coming, he has to be able to deliver me from the oppression that I'm already up under. So he has to have the authority. So Mark looks at the amazingness of God. He looks at all the amazing stories that he has from Peter, and he starts to paint this amazing picture. He starts it all with the amazing announcement that Christ is coming. We can read this in verses, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4, I think you're going to have on the screen. It talks about a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, for the Lord That means Yahweh. That word is Yahweh. Prepare the way for God. Make straight the paths for him. This is what an announcement would do for a king. They would go, and what they would do in the old days, it would be rocks and paths in the way. They would go and clear all the rocks out the way to make straight the path. So they said, God is coming. Make his way path. Make his way clear. And so, in this, this is, That was the prophecy that you're going to have somebody come and say that, and now somebody's coming to say it. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism for the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is amazing. Why do they call him John the Baptist? Is it because he went to Baptist church? Was he the first Baptist member of the Baptist church? No, it's not because he was a Baptist. What it was is because he was a baptizer. It was John the baptizer. He was doing a full immersion. And what's special about this is that it's for the forgiveness of sins for them to get back into the kingdom. This is crazy because what he's really saying is like, you Jews who already thought you had God, who already thought that you were in the kingdom, you're so corrupt that you need to be baptized and to even get into the kingdom. This is crazy. And, but his, um, 
His message was so well received that everybody in the area came and received that baptism. And when he, what he did was, in order to make sure that you saw the authority, Mark even went into what he was wearing. Because he knew that the people of that time would expect a prophet to look a certain way. Because a special prophet, whether they were a false prophet or nothing, they knew the clothes that they would have on. He went into all the nth degree about what he was wearing. But his message was this. There's somebody that's coming that's more powerful than me. And this person has the ability to give you the Holy Spirit. Only God can do that. This is the most amazing news ever. And this is the first display of Christ's amazing authority. It's in his announcement. But, God, but, but Mark doesn't stop there. He's like, yes, God is amazing. Yes, he's been announced. But that's not all I have for you. Mark moves in rapid succession throughout his gospel. He says, that's not it. But let me tell you about his amazing anointing. This is the second display of Christ's amazing authority. Here it is in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out the water, he saw heaven being torn apart. I want you to remember that. Torn apart. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Oh, they point out so much in this scripture. They talk about Jesus Christ coming from Galilee. It was important. They didn't just say Jesus of Nazareth like you hear throughout most of the Testament. They also put added on that Galilee. Because Galilee was known to be the outskirts of the Jewish landscape. It was meant to be where the worst came. He was showing them how far it had flipped. They thought, look, if you're looking at Israel, you got... Judah and everything down here. They thought all the blessings was here. And as you got further up where Galilee was, you know, you got more into the Gentile world. Like, that's why they say something about Jesus. They say, can anything good come from Galilee? It was Galilee of the Gentiles. That's terrible. God had flipped the script. You hear me? So that now something good, the very best thing, the most amazing thing, God is showing that I'm so amazing, I can take your worst and make it the best. And he baptizes God. John is flabbergasted. He, in, one of the, in one of the scriptures, he says, he says, no, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, you got to permit it to be so. Because, you know, this is, what, this is the righteousness that should happen. We should all be baptized. This is the word that I put forth. We all have to be baptized into the kingdom. We're not just permitted in. We all need to make this exception of God and and say that we're going to come and repent from our sins so that we can be accepted into this kingdom. And he said, even though I haven't sinned, do me. Do me too. (laughs) My English teachers got mad again. I'm sorry, y'all. Let's get it together. Then we talked, it gets to talking about how when he came up, the sky was ripped. This ripped word was only used two times in the New Testament. The other time was when he ripped the veil. And when he, when, he ripped, uh, when he ripped the veil, that was meant that we have direct access to God. But here, what is happening is he's ripping the sky and he's coming to us. What we can draw from this is that we have a God that's so amazing that he desires an audience with us. 
He's not just sitting in heaven not wanting to talk to us. He desires to talk. And we need to take full advantage of this relationship and this open communication that God makes available to us. The Spirit comes down and descends, not just the partial. A lot of people who receive the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, but they receive partial. But this is no normal person. This is God in the flesh. And just to make sure we knew it, God speaks. He says, you are my son. Now, I know you heard son many times throughout the scripture. You're like, what's so special about this son is that he's the only begotten son. Sometimes they use son to mean I've taught you, I've mentored you, now you're my son in the gospel. No, he says begotten. That means you are the essence of me. You are made of what I'm made of. And we're a monotheistic religion, so we realize what God is saying is this is God. Yahweh has come. Just like it was prophesied, make the pathway straight. Not for, not for a person that's not me, make the pathway straight for the Lord, for Yahweh. God is coming, and God has come in the flesh. That's the second display, that amazing anointing, an anointing that happened by God the Father. And the third is the amazing ability, the ability was on full display. Remember, in order for us to be excited about the gospel, it has to be able to deliver us from our current situation. It has to be able to conquer the spirit, the soul, the mind, the body, because that's all of the things that we deal with, right? The spirit, the soul, the mind, the body. And what we see here is that Mark immediately lets you know that God can conquer all of those things. That's how amazing he is. And he shows us by showing us that he has authority over Satan, that he has authority over sin, that he has authority over sickness, that he has authority over sinners. He has authority over the spirit. He has authority over the mind. He has authority over the body. He has authority over the soul. He says, I'm about to show you how amazing God truly is. And he does that through a look, I can't go through all of the scripture because we'll be here until next week, but which I don't mind. Are you, are you guys? No? Okay. <laughs> First, he talks, he, he deals with it when he deals with the temptation of Christ. Now, my young people, this is when he gives Satan the bombastic side eye. <laughs> you hear me? So, my older people, you didn't get that. It's okay, it wasn't for you. It was for the, that was for you, okay? All right? The rest of this, we can get it together. All right? Cool beans? The Holy Spirit, immediately after his baptism, leads Jesus to the wilderness. Look at this imagery, okay? He leads Jesus alone because he had to show that he alone had this authority, right? So now, watch the place to the wilderness, right? So if you think about how man became fallen, it was in Eden, this lush garden, everything that we ever needed, and we fail. If you look at how we're being restored by the second Adam, it's in this deserted land where you see all of the effects of sin. You see desertedness. You see wild animals. You see the terribleness that has been bestowed upon us because of our fall. And this is where Jesus takes the biggest punch and the biggest punch that Satan can deliver. He's out there and he's not eating for 40 days and he's tempted the entire time. But what does he do? He continues to combat Satan with the word of God because Satan keeps telling him, you need to escape this embarrassment. You're God. 
He, he gives them all these different challenges. And that's when he delivers that bombastic side eye and says, chill, because this is what God really said. He shows, most importantly, that he has authority over the ruler of this world. Why is that important to us? Because that means no matter what we see happening around us, God has the ability to set up his kingdom in the earth. No matter whether we see murders, no matter whether we see deceitfulness, no matter whether we see death of innocent individuals, no matter what type of terribleness we see on this earth, God is powerful enough to set up his kingdom in this earth and deliver to us a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense by what's going on around us because in the middle of the wilderness, God can take care of us and his word can protect us. He has power over Satan. He has power over the demons. One time, Jesus went to church, and a demon was there. That's a whole other sermon, ain't it? Demons in church. <laughs> the demon could not. Yeah, somebody laughed. They thought about you. Thought about somebody. Uh, so <laughs> the demons. When Jesus was preaching, the demons were terrified. The people were confused. You read it in our opening. They like, man, he's amazing. Who is this guy? He's amazing. But the demons knew exactly who he was. You know what I'm saying? They knew exactly who he was, and they were terrified. Jesus shows that he has power over the demons by rebuking the demon and delivering the demon out of the individual. Jesus can save us from Satan. He can save us from the demons. Second part, I got to move on. Sin. Jesus, I'm going to touch on this quickly. Jesus starts his ministry. He comes out publicly. He starts preaching. And it says when he starts preaching that he's preaching the gospel of God. You hear me? God. This is another reason why he's showing you. I'm God. Hello. It it doesn't say the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Jesus. He's preaching the gospel, the good news of God. It says at this present time, right now, God is here. In this moment, you should repent. He has the power to forgive sins within him. What is the gospel of God? I'm here. I'm here, and I can forgive your sins. He has power over sin. Let's do sinners, then let's do sickness. He shows he has power over sinners. Jesus walks up to men, full-grown men in the middle of their business, who are supporting their families, and says, follow me. They give up everything and start to follow him. These men are fishers, okay? So what I, but I, let me, point of clarity, I don't want you to think like grandpa out there fishing with dad. No, 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 no. Meat is the number one protein source in all of Rome. These guys are affluent. If you go look at Peter's house over there, right now they have, they, you know, they have the place where Peter's house is. You can go and look at it right now. You can go visit it. It's huge. Peter was paid. Do you hear me? They're walking away. You see evidence in the scripture where they're talking about they're walking away from multiple boats and actually having employees and stuff like that. This is a big business. And they left. The Bible says they did it immediately. He has power over sinners. He has power over sickness. He goes to the house of John. John's mother been sick, y'all. She's had a fever. Anybody ever had a real, real bad fever? You know how weak you feel? Right? Even when you get better. Your energy doesn't come back immediately, right? 
But he walks into the house of John. So back then, you know, they didn't know about viruses and all of that stuff. They didn't know how it to, how to took place. But we know now when a virus gets done, you're normally tired afterwards. He says he walked in there and while she was with that fever, took her hand and said, get up. And he said that she got up and then immediately started to serve them. Now, this ain't the, 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 the time of McDonald's and fast food. Do you know what I'm saying? So she, and these are not little kids where she has to just prepare a little bit. These are full-grown men who have been walking around doing some of the toughest ministry, and she has to make everything from scratch, and she does not look like she's even tired and doesn't show any resemblance of the fever that she's been going through because when God shows up, he delivers you completely. He has power over sickness. That's all I'm going to give you today. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to close it. Because I, what I was brought here today to do was this. To open up this series. To show you the amazingness that God has used Mark's life for. To show you how amazing he thought that God was. So what I will do this. I will do this. I'll give you an assignment. Is that okay? Because I had a bunch of stories. Like I couldn't read through all the scriptures, okay? Y'all see the scriptures. I want you to go and read it. With all the knowledge that we've been getting, it's a lot of scriptures in there that we didn't even touch. There's more deliverances. There's more deliverance for sickness and stuff like that. Read chapter one, okay? And read it with the understanding of what we've went through today and the information that we have now and knowing who Mark is and let it come alive. Let you, let you fall in love with the amazingness of God. And then prepare for next week by reading chapter two. So... I'm not going to give you a conclusion today. You'll get that at the end of the series, okay? We, but you have been introduced. Here, Mark uses in his book many times amazement and fear, many times throughout the book. He wrote this book because he was amazed with God, because God is amazing. He wanted to share with us that same amazing, that same amazement the amazing God that we serve. So throughout this series, I ask you to just be amazed by God. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share one more time, especially this message. This message, God, that no matter how unamazing things seem around us, your amazingness supersedes it. No matter how much I screw up, No matter how much I screw up, God, you can still use somebody like me. Thank you, God, for the message that you can deliver me from everything that ails me. From the spirit, the mind, the body, the soul. God, you are king of it all. And when you deliver us, God, the deliverance is complete. We thank you for that. May this word, has, which has landed in our spirit, grow up throughout the week. And may the faith that we apply to it show evidence in our life. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that message. Vincent always brings such such powerful messages and words from God whenever he visits us, so today was no exception. Uh, I just loved his encouragement and reminder of how awesome, amazing, powerful uh, the authority of our God. I hope that's a, a reminder for you this week as you go through uh, life or, or even hard situations. I just remind you that God is awesome and he has ultimate authority uh, and so much bigger than we could possibly imagine. I also want to let you know that if you need support, whether it's prayer or anything else, to reach out, let us know on that connect card so that we can support you. Uh, But I hope you have a blessed week. I hope that this week you're reminded how awesome our God is and that brings you peace and joy and encouragement. Have a blessed week. See you real soon.